Welcome to the Beak Out Locker Room Podcast. This is your host, Bruce Slatton, a very mediocre host, as well as your producer, Tim Allen. Today, our guest is Dave Severance. He's a scout of the Los Angeles Clippers, a former player development director. But before we go in with Dave into the locker room, let's talk about our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish has been a proud sponsor of the BCAT for several years. They provide the most advanced state-of-the-art shooting machines on the market today. With on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat trackers, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish shooting machines have become the preferred machine for players and coaches worldwide. Right now, Dr. Dish is offering Tennessee coaches a minimum $1,000 trade-in for old shooting machines, no matter what brand, plus an extra $300 off the purchase of a new Dr. Dish machine. Be sure to check out all the Dr. Dish products at drdishbasketball.com or on Twitter at drdishbball. Dr. Dish, proud sponsor of the Locker Room Podcast. Coaches, your locker room needs BSN Sports. BSN offers a huge selection of products to meet your apparel and equipment needs all season long. See your local BSN rep or go to bsnsports.com. BSN Sports, official sponsor of the Locker Room Podcast. Now we want to bring in Dave Severance of the Los Angeles Clippers. Dave has been a speaker at the BCAT Clinic uh, several times. Dave, how's everything going today? Everything's great, Bruce. How you doing? <laughs> hey, I'm doing great. And so, man, you love doing clinics, don't you? How, how'd you get into that? Yeah. You know what, Bruce? You know, I, I'll never forget as a young first coach, first coach is like in 1980 uh you know it was in northern california i think up in san jose and it was one of the, one of the clinics they used to have these things put on by converse the old medalist clinics converse yeah. and uh, i remember going to my first one and coach knight was not pat bobby <laughs> was uh the future speaker and this this was back you know the uh, you know, there wasn't any technology. They'd have the old overhead where they had to, you know, write on the overhead, project, crank, you know, crank the paper so they'd get the next uh, screen. And I remember ever since then, I've just loved going to coaches' clinics. And that was, you know, 42 years ago. Um, and, I, you know, I'm like most coaches. I keep notes on most clinics that I've gone to. But, yeah, I, I just love – I love going to clinics. I love presenting at clinics. Uh, you know, it's the continuing education of coaching uh, that I think is important. Absolutely. Well, I, I, you know, and that's, you know, I, I've seen Coach Knight at clinics and among many others. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that's still the best way to learn. You know, you can watch videos, uh, you can, you can read books, uh, which help, but seeing it live, seeing it for your own eyes and getting your own interpretation, I think is the, the, uh, the best way to, uh, uh, to, to increase your knowledge. Right. And uh, so, how how did you get into coaching? I know you went to the you went to that Bobby Knight clinic, and and uh, <laughs> yeah. So, kind of tell us about your journey. Yeah, you know, you know, Bruce, you know, I was a very very mediocre Division two player uh, at a college in Northern California, and when I was done playing, uh, you know, the, the head coach approached me and he said, "Hey, there's a there's a uh, ninth grade team." across the street at a, at a middle school back then it was the the middle school were seventh eighth and ninth graders would you be interested in coaching and i kind of knew that I, I i wanted to teach and coach and 
I said, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. But I knew nothing about coaching. I knew I wanted to coach, but I didn't know anything about how to coach. So I took that ninth grade job, uh, you know, and it's funny. It was my first team I ever coached, and I remember every guy's name on that team. And that was 40-some years ago. Um, you know, and then I just kind of fell in love with coaching and knew I wanted to teach and coach. All I ever wanted to do was be a head high school coach and be a teacher. And so I kind of worked my way up, you know, JV and two or three years as a JV coach until I got my first chance to be a varsity head coach. And I stayed in high school for a total, I think, 15 years. Um, so that that's kind of how it started, mostly in Northern California and then um, also here in the Fresno area. Gotcha. Well, now, how, how'd that first team uh, that you coached, how, how'd they do? I'll never forget. We we went eight and ten. Yeah. Okay. My first year coaching. Now, that was the freshman uh, team, right? Freshman. Ninth grade. Yeah. We went eight and ten. Uh, it was it was a school called Chico Junior High School in Chico, California. Uh, and, and I'll never forget that team. Uh, and the biggest thing I, I remember is how much I didn't know. I, I mean, I had no clue how to coach, how to put together a practice, um, you know, game coaching and all that stuff. Of course, there was no three-point line and no shot clock back then. Yeah. But, um, you know, and I stayed with that team the next year as they moved up to JV. I stayed with that team and then I moved to a different school and, you know, started my journey. Gotcha. And uh, so you, you you know, you coached freshman JV and then as a high school head coach, that's, you know, and that that's one thing I think a lot of coaches today, a lot of young coaches that, that want to get in the profession, they, they, they want to skip that process. You know, they want to be, be the head man right off the bat. And it doesn't always work, right. does it? So. No, it doesn't coach. And, you know, I get young coaches all the time call me up and ask me for advice and, I say you, you, it's kind of like shooting. You got to get reps. Yeah. You, you go coach. Yeah. Well, well, I don't care what level seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Coach in the summer. Go to camps. Coach. Mm-hmm. Learn how to teach. Learn how to do a practice. Yeah. Um, that's the only way you're going to do it is to get the reps in. Yeah, get the reps and 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 figure out different ways to practice. You know, seeing seeing what other coaches do and then making it your own and and uh, sure. And, I think a lot of times, you know, you, you go to those clinics and, and, and I've probably been guilty of this multiple times through my career, but, you know, I, I can remember going to see coach Knight or, or Rick Patino or one of those guys. And then you, you know, you say, man, you get infatuated with the personality and you want to be that, that guy instead of just being yourself. And uh, I think that's, I think that's, you know, sometimes as a young coach, you, you know, you got to figure your yes. own way, don't you? And I made that mistake. Not my most, you know, most coaches our age have made that mistake. We didn't okay. know who we were. Yeah. And it took me it took me a few years to really be comfortable with who I was as a coach. You know, I tried to be this guy, and you tried to be that guy, and you try to run this offense and that offense. And, yeah. you know, until you can kind of figure out who you are, um, you know, you're going to go through those things. What uh, you know? What, what are some of the things that you learned going all the way back to that very first season, coaching freshman, uh, and then, you know, through as a JV coach and then a high school coach, what, what are some of the things that you picked up on that, that you still try to do today when you work with players and, and uh, evaluate teams and, and whatnot? What are some of the things that you always kept with you through your coaching journey? I think the number one thing that I've always tried to, tried to keep true to is they don't care how much you know 
until they know how much you care. Yeah. Um, I, I've always kind of approached it that way that you got to really invest in your player, especially in high school. You know, you spend so much time with those high school kids that uh, you're investing a lot into them and they got to know that you care about them um, before they can, you know, before they know what you have to teach them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's something that I've always tried to carry with me throughout. And, you know, I'm like most high school coaches, Bruce. I coached almost every sport. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a small high school, your co- I was coaching freshman football, varsity basketball, and tennis. Yeah. You wow. know, and then, and in, and in one year, I, they made me the water polo coach. I didn't know anything about water polo. I didn't, water I didn't know how many. I didn't know how many people were in the pool. The rules. They gave me a rule book, and me and another guy co-coached the water polo team. Wow. Then one year, they they wanted to start a badminton program for the girls. I yeah. was at a, a large urban high school in Fresno, and we had a really high population of Hmong students. Uh, mm-hmm. You know who immigrated over from Laos after the war. So a lot of them settled in the Fresno area. So we had this huge Hmong population at the high school I was teaching at. And badminton was really popular. So we started a badminton team. I was a girls' badminton coach. I mean, you know, That's I great. coached everything. Yeah. And, uh, wow. And so you know, well, let me ask you this. You know, coaching all those things. <laughs> and we were good in badminton, too. Yeah, I bet you were. I bet you were. You're a state champ, I guess, right? Not state champ, but those those long kids were really good. I bet. And uh, so, you know, coaching all those sports, uh, you know, that had to give you, as far as, you know, going to basketball, that had to give you a different perspective. I mean, being able to, you know, having to coach those kids and, and having to learn another sport. Uh, so that, you know, I think that's that's great, you know, because I coach tennis and golf and a couple yeah. of other girls softball and, and yeah. you know, and, and it, it always, you know, I think you appreciate the sport that you're, I guess you're a professional in when you have to coach those other sports, because that's the nature of a high school coach. You know, they have to, it's sometimes, uh, you know, they say, Hey, uh, you know, you did a great job in basketball, but we, we need you to coach girls softball now or, 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 you know, or whatever sport it is. How, How did, what did you take away from coaching those other things that, that maybe helped you in basketball? Um, you know, probably the fact that you, you know, that the most important thing when, when, when you're thrown into coaching those other sports that you don't know a whole lot about is you really got to, you really got to plan your practices yeah. and be, um, you know, the practices have to be prepared and be planned, especially when you don't know a whole lot about them. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, you have to be, you have to study a little bit on the sport, but the practice planning becomes really important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the kids just don't, pick up on the fact that you don't know a whole lot. Well, yeah, and that, that's what I was going to say. They uh, they know more than you do sometimes. You yeah, know? yeah, the walk car pull them definitely. You, know, you, you got so to. So you got to uh, kind of, you, you got to plan your practice, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you can't uh, wing it. You know, and at least, yeah, at least give them the idea, the impression that you know a right. little bit about it, you know. So, uh, so that, well, how did you uh, now? Now, what did you teach? What, what was your? Uh, I, you know, you know, Coach. Um, my first year as a full-time teacher, I taught um, social studies, you know, geography, California history. I even yeah. taught a, a couple of periods of English. Yeah. And then uh, when I moved to my next job, I was uh, a full-time social studies teacher, you know, junior history, 
freshman, uh, you know, history. And then uh, I did that for five or six years, geography, world history. And then uh, I went into PE after that for, my, for the last, you know, few years of my. So I've been a classroom teacher and, and a PE teacher, um, you know, seeing, seeing both sides of that. Yeah, well, uh, uh, all I can say with all the sports that you've coached and all those subjects <laughs> you've taught, you are a multi-dimensional uh, as an educator and coach, man. I'm telling you, that's that's amazing. I t- I I've seen a, a lot, yeah. Yeah, you you uh, you you've been through it all. So, uh, well, now let me ask you this: How how did you when you were coaching high school? How did you deal with those? you know, those kids that played multi-sports and, uh, you know, that's always a topic of discussion with the high school coaches, you know, because we, you know, and I've always said that if a coach is telling a kid at the high school level, Hey, you need to concentrate on this sport, on my sport, you know, because you, you know, I, you know, I think that'll be beneficial to you. I've always said that coaches that try to get kids to just play one sport and concentrate on that at 15 years old, that they need to be fired. I mean, you know, because that's not the that, that legitimately that's not in the best interest of those kids if they want to play more than one sport. You know, I totally agree with that, Coach. Uh, especially at a small school. Uh, my, my, my first, you know, full time uh, teaching and coaching was at a small high school. We only had about five hundred kids in the school, mm-hmm. and. Most of my varsity basketball players, most of the guys played football, and they all pretty much played a spring sport also. Sure. So I, I encouraged it. Now, is it going to hurt the beginning of your basketball season a little bit? Yeah, probably. But, you know, I, I think back to when I, you know, when I was in high school, I played all three sports, and it was the most fun I've ever had. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, you know, to discourage those kids is a, is a disservice to them. Um, I, I really think, you know, the, the coaches in, in high school should encourage kids to play multiple sports. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I coached, I coached some of my varsity basketball kids in, you know, say in tennis. You know, if I was the boys tennis coach, some of those guys yeah. would play on the tennis team, you know, so. I, I I think it's a disservice if you try to channel those kids, especially at a small school. Yeah, and uh, well, and and sometimes they need a break from your sport and, and from you. Yeah, and for, that's what I was getting, exactly what I was getting ready to say. They that that may be the most important thing is is they need a break from the coach, you know, and and especially you know because I was I, you know when I was coaching, I was such a hard driving you know uh, guy. I didn't. I was never opposed to kids playing multiple sports, but uh, you know, I, I wanted them to give everything they had when it was basketball season, and then as soon as it was done, you know, go to baseball, go to you know whatever your you know whatever your next sport is, and right. enjoy that, you know. And I'm not going to interfere with you. So, hey, what what do you think? Uh, and I, you know, and I know you you don't see the AAU circuit or the youth basketball circuit, but man, what are, what are some of the things that you maybe see as problems on that? on that end. Do you, do you um, have any opinions I, on that? Yeah, I do coach. I have some really strong opinions because, you know, I've seen it, I've seen it develop from almost nothing in the, in the early eighties. Yeah. To, to the monster that it is now. Yeah. Uh, I can remember back in, and you'll remember this coach in the early eighties, um, you know, summer basketball was mainly, you know, kids going to basketball camp. Sure. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a whole lot. I went to several. 
yeah, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for kids to play on travel teams like they do now. So what they do, they, they go to summer camps. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and that, that was their competition for the summer. But it's grown, um, it's grown to such a, a monster now that and the, the problems that I see are it makes it so easy for kids to move from one AAU team to another, which could lead to them transferring from one high school to another. I think we've made it so easy to give them an out mm-hmm. uh, instead of sticking through and, and, and fighting through adversity, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, yeah. We just made it so easy. I, I'm not playing or I don't like the way this is going. I'll just go to this team over here, this travel team. Sure. Or I don't like what, what's happening at this high school. I'll just transfer to this high school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's the biggest problem that I've seen with it. And then the second problem is they play w- so many games, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that sometimes I think the fundamentals just go out the window. Uh, the best teachers to me are still the high school coaches. Yeah. Not that there's not great AAU coaches, because I think there are. I've seen some, like in Los Angeles, that are just terrific. But in the big picture, I think the high school coach is still the best coach for that kid. Yeah. And I think we see the fundamentals and stuff just kind of go out the window. Yeah, I, I remember I heard Tom Crean at, at Georgia uh, say one time that he had, he had studied this. This was in a clinic. And uh, uh-huh. this was about seven or eight years ago. And he said that uh, he had studied that on the average, uh, these high school players are playing eight games to every one practice. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, you think about that, that's, that's pretty telling when it used to be eight practices to one game. <laughs> I know. And uh, I, I, th- I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that sometimes, you know, the fundamentals are out the window and the, and the, the, the teamwork is out the window. I think you, you see, you know, a lot of uh, me first attitudes and it's, sure. it's showing up, uh, you know, it's showing up at the highest levels of basketball now Uh and, and among other sports, but, you know, it's just, um, I, th- I think that's the issue, you know, a lot of, and, and we've, I've, I've literally watched this in an AAU tournament where uh, a team loses and one or two players on the losing team ask if they can join the winning team, <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, you know, it just, uh, there, there's, uh, you know, the, the big thing I, I see is that, you know, you, what you just said is that, you know, it, it makes an easy out for the kids to get, um, you know, to leave an AAU program or to leave a high school program. And uh, and I, I agree wholeheartedly that the best option for the kids is to stay in a, in a high school that's, uh, you know, that's being coached by somebody that, that really works with, you know, and and, uh, and stuff. So, And I, uh, yeah, I think, Bruce, the, the other thing um, – you know, AAU in summer bath, it offers them a chance to play a lot of games. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, it, it also kind of guarantees them games. Therefore, there's no, uh, you know, there's no, hey, you got to win to stay out on the court mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, you, you know, you yeah. don't see them playing on the playground anymore. It's like you lose. Oh, you got to sit for an hour. No. Yeah. yeah. They know that they're guaranteed six games for the weekend. Oh, yeah. I'm going to play games. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I think yeah. that competitive nature that, having, you know, having the win to stay on the court mentality, we're, we kind of lose that a little bit. Yeah, and, and and I think sometimes, you know, I mean, when I lost a game in high school, I felt awful, you know. And, awful. 
And I think now it's it's even that, you know, they come back and a loss doesn't bother those kids as much as it did maybe 30 years ago before right. all this stuff hit. And uh, and I, I think that's an issue. You know, I, I you know, I, I can remember how motivated, you know, that that I've seen my teams or, or other teams play, you know, in those tournaments years ago when you're getting ready to play in that district tournament or region tournament or, or sectionals or whatever, uh, you know, and, and now, you know, it, it, it bothers them, but it's an e- you know, it's easier to brush it off than what it was. Uh, you know, it, it, it would bother, you know, I, I remember kids seeing kids when I've coached uh, that, um, you know, it, it would, they would be down for two days, three days, you know, after a loss. Now it's kind of like that. They brushed off. I'm good the next morning. Let's go. I'm back. You know, I got another game tomorrow night. No, no you're you know, suspended. It's, it's <laughs> amazing here, Bruce. Like in California, I, I, like they'll play the state championships on a Friday, Saturday weekend. Yeah. State championships. And that, that following Monday or Tuesday, that they're, they're getting ready for AU. Yeah, the following and, weekend they're playing in an AU tournament somewhere. I saw, um, I saw, you know, we're about two weeks out from starting practice in Tennessee, or three weeks, and I saw two AAU programs here in the state that were advertising tryouts the last weekend of October, and that's the weekend before practices officially start November first. So, uh, to me. Uh, that you know that that's a that's a that's something that I, I just never dreamed would happen you know and uh, so and they yeah, they they they're having, those, those, those go ahead go ahead oh I was just going to say you know it's now we're 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 in October you know uh, and they're not even playing until you know April you know and so they're having tryouts now it just doesn't make sense so hey so uh so you moved you went from high school then got into the the junior college ranks and then division two and and uh, tell tell us a little bit about that juco experience it's always interesting well yeah you know juco i'm a product of juco i played junior college okay okay Okay. and california you know state jc they don't participate in the national JC tournaments and stuff. They have their own. So yeah. the California State Championship JC is a pretty big deal in our state. Yeah. Uh, so I was a JUCO kid, I, you know, and I loved junior college. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to coach uh, two years in a, as an assistant coach uh, to, a, to a, uh, a coach that had won a state championship in California, which is kind of a big deal. So... Uh, I was at Fresno City College for two years, and you know JUCO kids. I mean, they're there for one of three reasons. Yeah. They're not good enough, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, they've, they've had some struggles either academically yeah. or, you know, off the court. Sure. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's the knucklehead route, I call it, you know. <laughs> and, that, and don't take that as a bad term because I love no. JUCO kids. At, you know, at 18 they, and 19 years old, there's a lot of knuckleheads out there. I yeah, I, I was. Yeah. You know, but, but, but it's also a great opportunity for kids, I think, to kind of figure out who they are and figure out, you know, is this something I want to pursue? And, hey, one of my favorite shows is, is Last Chance You. Yeah, yeah. On Netflix, you know, where they did the, the football and then now they're doing the basketball yeah. And I watched that, and it brings back so many memories. Like, oh yeah, I w- I remember that guy. I I coached that guy, you know, 
Yeah, it's yeah. it's a, it's a great experience, JUCO, uh, and we had really good teams when I coached here. Um, and you know, some some of the top uh, in California in the '60s and '70s, mm-hmm. junior college basketball was unbelievably good. You had some excellent. You had Jerry Tarkanian, yeah, Lou Olson, Denny Crum, well, uh, <laughs> Jim Killingsworth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on about these uh, excellent Bill Mulligan yeah. about these excellent college coaches, but guys don't know they started in junior college in California. Yeah, yeah. Uh, way those, back, those first three you named uh, end up winning oh. national championships. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there you go, right there. Golly. And so I'm a big JUCO guy. Um, yeah. I believe I believe it's an important piece uh, of, of the basketball. For, for young players. Well, you, you know, and, and too, you know, you, you, you know, you affectionately re- refer to it as a knucklehead circuit, but it, but you know, those guys that I, I tell you what, uh, you know, I've had several players that played at that level and I'm, I, I will say this, those guys appreciate the opportunity more than yeah. a lot of guys that play at the highest level because it, it maybe got them out of a, a bad situation. It, it allowed them an education uh, you know, and, and they got to do something they loved. It didn't matter, you know, if they, you know, played past the junior college level, you know, it gave them a head start that they may not have had. And I think that, you know, those guys appreciate that, uh, uh, you know, all to, you know, to, to the, to their coaches, to their high school coaches that helped them. Uh, I think that they've always appreciated that. So. I, um, I just, I totally agree with that. i you know, I, I still have, you know, tw- I, I coached Juca, it was 22 years ago, and I still have relationship with several of those kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're not kids anymore. They're young, they're yeah. young men. They're kids so, and, to you because you coach yeah. them. Kids, right? I mean, so. that, and, and like they're at a point in their life where, you know, this kind of is my last chance. Yeah, yeah. And you help them, you help them with that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell me this: what you know as as you you know moved from high school to to college and then into the NBA, you know, and and I I've, I know to be in to get into the NBA, you got to have you know an, uh, you know a great knowledge base and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's all about relationships with those guys. So, what what maybe are some of the things that are um, you know as as you move up? levels that relationships are so important yeah especially when you get uh you know to the highest level um because you know almost every coach at that level is, is really good and really knowledgeable yeah uh, you know, they're, they're they're very sound coaches excellent coaches um so and it's just relationship. It's more. It's not as much X's and O's that no, people think, so is it? No, I, but in saying that, the X's and O's are unbelievable. I mean, the oh, stuff yeah. got yeah. going. They run, but it's it's like getting players to to buy into roles, which yeah. comes back to relationships. You got to have a good relationships. Uh, you know, being able to tell the truth to players at that level. Is, is huge and they all need to hear the truth because for the most part, you know, you know, coming up, they, they haven't been told the truth consistently. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I so know. You got to have, you, you just got to have an honest, uh, truthful relationship with the players. And, yeah. 
you know, sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, but for the most part, I think that's, that's the biggest thing about working with, with guys at that level is you have to be sincere. You have to be truthful because they can smell BS a mile away. Oh yeah. Most yeah. players can, sure. but especially yeah. when they get to that level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and uh, I think too, you, you know, the, you know, as you said, the X's and O's are really important. That's what gets coaches to that level, I think. But at the end of the day, to succeed and stay there, you got to have that positive relationship with those guys, and you can't, you know, you can't uh, BS those guys at all, can you? So it's it's uh, you know, I think, no. that, you know, that that is um, they they as you said, they can sense that a mile away, and uh, those guys are smart. But you know, they, I mean, you think about it. You know, there's probably what ten guys in the NBA that are the marquee guys, the super quote unquote superstars, and then there's about 340 other guys that are on teams. But the way I look at that is, all those guys really are superstars because they're the best 350 players in the country or in the world. And yeah. uh, you know, and, and it doesn't matter the role. It, it what amazes me in watching games is number one, obviously the, the talent blows you away but but the willingness of those guys to accept whatever role is given to them uh on you know and, and i know some guys kind of they they may balk at a <laughs> at a role that a coach tries to get them sometimes but overall you see those guys accept it because one they they want to be in the league number two they like the paycheck and uh and, and it's something that they'll never you know, they they can always say that I was one of the best 350 in the world, you know. Right. So, you know, I think that that's important. But uh, talk about the roles and how y'all determine those things. for, the, for It's those. huge. Uh, it's huge, Coach. And the quicker a player can accept the role that's been uh, offered to them, because you, you, can't, you can't demand it of them. You can offer it to them and, and uh, explain yeah. why – why I want this to be your role and you know whether they accept it or not is going to determine how long they stay in the league to be honest with yeah, you yeah absolutely. Like, there, there's there's like 30 players that really matter yeah and you yeah. mentioned 10 there's about 10 franchise players yeah what yeah. I call friend and there's 30 that really matter yeah. okay and then there's like 420 or, or that just you know it's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, that's a good uh, that's a good analysis. Yeah, so the quicker that you can accept the role that the coach is defined for you, um, you know, the better you're going to be. Yeah. Uh, and there, there's been some guys that, that have been ten and twelve year veteran guys that stayed in the league because they accepted their role. Yeah. Um, you know, a guy like Nick Carlson, great college player, yeah. he accepted his role and he knew kind of with OKC, this is what I'm going to be. We had a kid on our team, another Kansas player, a few years ago named Cole Aldrich. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Cole was a great college player, but he knew what his role was going to be in the NBA. Yeah. You yeah. know, and he accepted that. Um, you know, so that's just some examples. Another Kansas guy that we had was Kirk Heinrich. Yeah. Uh, you know, he kind of accepted his role. You know, I, I'm going to start sometimes. Sometimes I'm not going to start. Sure. You know? But the quicker you can accept the role, the better you're going to be. And the more you fight that role, Dion Waiters is an example. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, shorter your career is going to be. Well, you know, and you look, you know, going back to the '90s. I mean, there was no better role player in the league than Dennis Rodman. I mean, his great. So great. I mean, uh, you know, he he didn't score. I mean, if he if he had a you know, he scored four points. It was a great night for him offensively. Yeah. You know, he, he'd have 25 rebounds and, uh, you know, a, a, you know, one of the best defenders to play the game. I mean, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, that, that to me, looking back at that, uh, you know, that defines your role. And guys are smart enough to figure things like that out. They can make a lot me, of money. Great Dennis Rodman story. Um, you know, I worked for a head coach named Vinny Del Negro yep. who played with Dennis Rodman. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know they they're playing game. You know, and, and and Dennis grabs an offensive rebound, literally right underneath the basket, for an easy layup. Instead, he kicks it out to Vinny for you know for the jump shot. And Vinny's like, Dennis, you had a you know you had a wide open layup. Don't, don't pass me the ball. He goes, No, no. That's my my role is to rebound. Your role is to shoot. Wow. Uh, I mean, and but by the way, Vinny said that Dennis Rodman was like the all-time best teammate. Really? Wow. Yeah. Now, he off the court, there was some stuff, of course, but yeah. he said once they in the court, all-time best teammate. Wow. And, uh, yeah, because, you know, the, you look at some of the other stuff, you know, that you think he he can't be good in the locker room. You, you see him out – you know, he's out yeah. doing this and that, you know, and, and uh, that, that's, that's great, man. So, so you worked for an absolute legend and, that, and I will say this, you worked for Jerry Tarkanian when he was at Fresno. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was the very first coaching video that I watched was yeah. defense. Okay. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, what, what, first of all, what was that like working for a guy like that? Well, you, you know, when I went to work for him, he offered, one of the assistants offered me the job of uh, video coordinator. And this yeah. was back in 2000 when this was kind of the first you know, first couple of years of the, that position. Sure. You know, and, and back then, the video coordinator, there was no computer stuff. It was just kind of coming in. So it was almost all tape to tape. Yeah. Remember? Like yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. But the reason I wanted to do it, because as I knew – from going to his UNLV practices for years, I knew that if you, if you were on his coaching staff, no matter what your title was, he was going to let you get on the floor and work with players Yeah, and, and coach. Uh, yeah. You know, you were a very active participant in practice, you know, like scout team and all that stuff. Sure. So I knew that I would be able to go and practice every day and watch him teach. And so that, that was one of the best things about it. Um, coach, coach was – Obviously, it was after UNLV, and he was in. This was his last coaching job at Fresno State, and I was there his last three years. Yeah, and coach was, he was an unbelievable defensive coach, like you said. Oh, um, yeah. You know the way his teams guarded man-to-man defense or the amoeba, and you got to remember, Coach Tark had great success with three different defenses. Yeah, uh, you know when he was in junior college in California and at Long Beach State, they were a one-two-two team. One two two zone, wow! Uh, and then when he went to UNLV with the Rebels, they were a pressure man to man. You know, you couldn't even get an entry pass. You know, yeah. yeah. But half court, deny, take away everything, guard to dribble, man to man defense. Probably the, the best that the college game has ever seen. That like those ninety ninety one teams, their yeah. half court man to man defense was unbelievable. And then he won with the matchup zone. Yeah, you know what he called the amoeba. The amoeba, yeah. Uh, 
And yeah, so he won. I, he won I, playing different styles. Yeah, and I, I, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, especially high school teams are still running a variation of that now. You know, uh, mm-hmm. and having a lot of success with it. So, you know, but he, he always got his teams to defend. Uh, you know, he gave them a lot of freedom on offense. Yeah, but the defense is is where they were so good. Yeah, they. Uh, you know, and and he had some. You know, he had some of those JUCO guys. You know, he. Oh yeah. He he kind of had a, I, I call it an eclectic mix of uh, <laughs> of personalities on that team, didn't sure. he? Sure. All and, those teams. And one of the great things about he was a big JUCO guy because he you know coasted Pasadena College and Riverside in California. Yeah. Um, but he could take. He could take. You know, the, 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 like you say, eclectic mix of kids and get them to play unselfishly. Yeah. Yeah. He had that ability to get them to play hard, number one, and then to get them to play very unselfishly on offense. Well, and I think that goes so, back to it, the relationships. You know, he, yeah, you know, they, they loved him. Yeah. I'm exactly. telling you, his players loved him. Yeah. You know, mainly because he just kind of let them be them off the court. Yeah. You know, he wasn't going to, you know, hassle him too much about stuff. And, you know, we could get into all that other stuff, but we won't. Yeah. But he let them be them. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of coaches that that uh, try to, you know, micromanage some some stuff that doesn't matter, you know, that, that really right. at the end of the day doesn't matter hey, in the grand scheme of things. Coach, yeah, he just said, just get it done. Yeah. And, just uh, get it done. And, and, he w- and he was so good to be around. I mean – he was he was probably the most non-judgmental coach that I've ever been around. Yeah. Which is ironic because everybody judged him so harshly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh you know and and uh it, it, he he didn't really let some of that stuff bother him. It didn't seem like nah. it was on the, on the outside, you know. But You know uh, the stuff that bothered him was the the NCAA stuff and the hypocrisy of that. But you know it, 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 you just showed up and you played hard and you played unselfish. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, I remember, you know, I, I'd, uh, I saw where, you know, one time, you know, when they had that great game in the 87 yeah. four with Indiana. Yeah. Great. And, uh, you know, and everybody, I, I remember this cause I was just kind of getting into coaching at that time. And, and, you know, I always watched the final four, like all of us do, but it, you know, they, uh, I, I remember all the, the talking heads, they said, um, they said, well, Indiana's only chance is to slow the tempo down. And, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and, and coach Knight, I remember in, in his, in his book, uh, the power of negative thinking, he talked about that game. I don't know if you ever read that, but he, he said, I looked at the film and I said, there's no way that we can win a half court game with these guys because they're too good defensively and too big. And he said, you know, they're going to press us and, we said we're going to take the best shot available at the first time we get it. And, you know, that score was 97-93 or something like that. And uh, Indiana won it. And, and you know, and I, I thought that was a great lesson about, uh, you know, how to play against teams like that sometimes. But that just t- tells you what he thought of uh, Tarkanian's defense, you know, that the only way that they, they could win is to just to take the best shot available when it was there. And one of the great things about Coach Knight, he's always uh, spoken very highly of, of Coach Tarkanian. Um, you know, and, you know, if you look at it, you know, the, the, 
they're kind of totally opposites of, of the way they approach certain things. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but coaching wise, uh, there was great respect from Coach Knight with with Coach Tark. Yeah, yeah, and uh, well, and and he was he you know I, I met uh, him or or I I say met him I, I introduced myself at the Final Four to him uh, in New Orleans. I never will forget that, and he was just so cordial, and nice. Oh yeah, and uh, autographed a thing for me and, and all that. But uh, that I think that was my only encounter with with Coach Tarkanian at, at, uh, as a young coach. But uh, so let me ask you, uh, let's move along here real quick and sure. you know uh we're with dave severance of the los angeles clippers and uh man it's been so good dave to have you on here and learning a lot of good stuff but you had a chance uh a few years ago to work with a guy named tim grover who yeah uh, uh kind of got you in the nba or helped to push you that way yeah. i think and, and i i've read a couple of his books man they are outstanding they're relentless and uh and there's yeah. another one I, I just ordered uh winning but, yeah, winning. Yeah, and uh, you know, ha- tell us a little bit about Tim. Yeah. He, he's pretty intense, isn't he? He he's he's terrific. He, you know, uh, I have a re- I developed a friendship with the, with the, a guy named Mike Procopio, mm-hmm. and Mike, Mike and I became very good friends right around the late '90s at the All America Camp, and so we developed a friendship. So Mike went to work eventually for Tim in Chicago. Uh, you know working with his players and um, you know, Mike one summer asked him, you know, I'd like to invite this guy out from California to spend the summer with us. And Tim says, sure. So I, I just took it from there. What I was still teaching in high school, but I would spend my summers in Chicago uh, with Mike and with Tim Grover uh, working out, you know, his, his clients, you know, his yeah. business pack athletics. And, and the first couple of years we were at this old place called hoops, the gym, uh, you know, and it was just, it was my first time really being around pro players full time. And, and, uh, you know, we'd work, we'd spend all day in the gym working with Tim's clients. Tim was mainly on the, the strength and conditioning side, but still very knowledgeable basketball guy, by the way. Yeah. Sure. Tim Grover, people don't know this, was the, the youngest at the time, he was the youngest player ever to play Division One basketball. Wow. Uh, you know, he graduated high school early. He's a brilliant guy. And uh, he, he was, a you know, one of the youngest, I think at the time, the youngest player ever to play Division One basketball. So he knew basketball. Um, so it was great. It was, I think I spent four summers out there in a row and working with all Tim's clients, working with Mike Procopio was great. Uh, I learned so much about, you know, pl- uh, working with NBA level players and then that kind of, allowed me to uh to be put in a position to get the job with the bulls and uh, well you know and that, that leads me to my next you know question is you know immediately what did you learn uh oh, working with those guys i mean just you know i i mean you can always say well the size or the the athleticism and all that but what 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 are some of the things that stood out to you when you first started working with those guys uh you know that the attention to detail the small things about the game were really important you know, Tim had been with, with Michael and with Kobe. And so, you know, those are two guys that are pretty oriented on the details, yeah. uh, the small you know, the details of the game and the nuances. So, you know, I, I knew the fundamentals and all that stuff, but those, those four years really opened my eyes to the, to the small details and the nuances of the game that I didn't, I didn't really know anything about. 
Yeah. Uh, but Tim, you know, being with Michael and with Kobe and with, you know, Juwan Howard, and I, the list goes on and on. Corey, uh, Dwayne Wade, Corey McGetty, Quentin Richardson. We had some really good players. That Andre Iguodala, when he was a young player, was one of our guys. Yeah. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Um, just learning the nuances of the NBA game. Yeah. Uh, it really was important to me. Yeah, they those guys, you know, you, you're talking about habits to learn from. I mean, those guys can really teach. They can teach the coach just as well as the coach can teach them, right? Yeah. They, those players knew so much more than I did. You know, and, and I'd been coaching for a long time, and I, I, did, I, I didn't know what I didn't know until I started getting around Iguodal and Dwayne Wade and watching how they worked. And I was like, whoa, I don't know a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you can uh, you get humbled in a hurry, right? Yeah. So, uh, well, you know, and 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 the thing about it is, those guys, uh, you know, they're so smart. I mean, not just basketball smart. Those guys, you know, they 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 know their body, they know their their mind, and uh, you know, I think that's what sets them apart. You know, uh, than than just an average, you know, player. You know, I've always thought myself uh, you know is you know there's there's not a great deal of difference a lot of times physically from a division one caliber player than a nba player it's what is from the shoulders up a lot of times you know and uh i, I that's just my opinion but uh no you, you're right on uh, uh you know and the, you know i also learned from tim the importance of of how to train your body to get ready uh, and that includes diet. And, sure. and, you know, some of his clients, you know, you know, much as he tried, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't buy in. They wouldn't go all in on the body and the diet guy named, you know, one example would be Eddie Curry. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie Curry was, you know, a high, high draft pick coming right out of high school, but he was a big kid who never really took the conditioning and the diet seriously enough. And, and much as Tim had tried, you know, yeah. sometimes you just can't you can't make them do it, and well, you you know you really you hurt. Can't, uh, yeah, like, well, you, yeah, and that's what I was gonna say. You you can't do it for them, and no. uh, I think I think sometimes you know um, it, it's I guess it's good to know that that happens sometimes on the NBA sure. level as much as oh, it sure. high school. So <laughs> uh, and uh, may, may sometimes it may be more, but you know I've I've seen those guys that's. Uh, you know, ate their way out of the league, so to speak, you know, uh, because of that. It's not all success stories. You know? No, no, absolutely. I mean, in fact, there's probably more unsuccessful stories than there are success stories, you know, if you if you want to get down yeah. to it. But, uh, hey, you, but hey, back, back to Tim. Tim, Tim is one of the smartest guys uh, that I've ever been around when it comes to, you know, all, all the body, the mind. I mean, if, if coaches, I'm not trying to plug his book or anything, but – like his two books that he'd written, Relentless, is unbelievable yeah. book. Yeah, uh, on the mindset and the mental aspect of not just basketball but everything. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I owe him a lot. I'm very because hey, I'm just some guy from California, you know. Some, <laughs> you know, and and he, him and Mike Procopio, you know, Tim's, you know, said, yeah, you know, give this guy a shot. And I owe a lot to Tim, and I well, still consider him a mentor and a, and a friend. Sure. And, uh, well, then, and, and it, part of, part of coaching, man, is just being in the right place at the right time, you know, because you, <laughs> you know, I, I think you told me uh, a couple of weeks ago that, uh, that you never really intended to be in the NBA. It just kind of no. happened. 
you know. It, I'm lucky, Coach. It just literally, you know, I, I'm working with Tim, and it, it's uh, it's June, and I'm in my summer break out working with Tim, and we had an intern. Tim had an intern that worked for him that also happened to be the Chicago Bulls video guy. Okay. And he was one of our interns. So he was a friend of mine. And he, he told me one day, he said, hey, the Bulls just hired a new coach and he's looking for a player development uh, director. Would you be interested? I said, yeah, but, you know, yeah, I'm interested. But who am I? Yeah, yeah. Let me You're always about. interested in that stuff, right? <laughs> so he goes, no, I, you know. So I told him that I was interested. And so um, and I talked to my wife about it. And she said, yeah, why not? I'm going to try it see. So um, I'll never, I'll never forget, uh, you know, that the Bulls sent a car to pick me up and, and uh, at the gym and I drove out to the, at the time it was called the Birdo Center up in Deerfield. Mm-hmm. And I, I met the new head coach. I didn't know, I never met him. His name was Vinny Del Negro. And uh, he said, okay, you're here to interview for the job. I said, yeah. He goes, okay, there's, there's four guys on the court waiting for you. Go work them out for an hour. Uh, you know, and it was like Joe Kim and Aaron Gray, I think, was out there. And yeah. Maybe uh, Tyrus Thomas. I can't remember. A couple of the other guys. So yeah. for an hour, I, I put him through a workout. There was about four guys. And Vinny's up in his office watching. And uh, that he gets over and he says, okay, can you go, come back tomorrow and work out some guards? I said, sure. So yeah. I came back the next day, worked out the guards. And the next thing you know, he offers me the job. And I just got lucky. Yeah. Yeah, right, right place at the right time. Time, you know, and it, and it kind of goes back, you know. And I, I, I remember, uh, you know, a Division One coach told me one time, and he said, "Look, he said, you know, because I was going around myself and working camps, uh, you sure. know, when I was a young guy." And oh yeah, he said uh, he said, "Coach," he said, "Don't don't talk to the head coach." He said, "No, you know, talk to him," but he said, "Spend time with those assistant coaches." And I said, why is that? He said, because they're going to be the next head coaches and they're going to be the ones to offer you a job. Right. And he was exactly right. You know, that's, that's kind of the way it works. You know, you sure. got to, you know, it's a networking thing, but it's a little, you know, there's a lot of luck involved. It's like winning championships. You know, you, you got to be good, but you got to have the right place, right time, luck uh, in there also. And, and uh, Absolutely. it's important. So, so you, you've had the opportunity. I'm going to run through some names here. Yeah. You know, you've worked with Blake Griffin. Yeah. Chris Paul. Yeah. Derek Rose. Uh-huh. Why Leonard. Paul George. Just to name a few. Okay. Well, I've, I've never actually – I never was with Kawhi or Paul because okay. when they came to the Clippers, I was I was on the scouting side. So. Okay. Gotcha. But, yeah. but I've seen them work up close, you know, so. So, so tell me – you know, uh, and, and you've mentioned some other guys that you that you worked with and, you know – what are some of the traits maybe in the, in the tendencies of great players like those guys that you see that maybe we don't see in a game on television, right. but that you see every day. And we've touched on a few of those things, but maybe some other things that you see uh, those guys um, out of those guys that make them so great. Those, those, those great players that you just mentioned all had, and, and don't, don't think this is a negative what I'm going to say because I think it's important. They all had very big egos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and don't, don't take that as a negative. What I mean by that is, you know, they're very confident in their abilities Yeah. and you know, they're very prideful people. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they, 
and they're all very smart and knowing that because of that, they got to put the work in. Sure. Uh, to be able to, to be able to maintain that. Um, some of the hardest workers I've ever been around are the guys you just mentioned. People have no idea how hard, for example, Chris Paul has had to work on his body as he aged uh, to, to be the player that he still is. Yeah. Uh, they don't see the work. I, I know how hard Chris works on his body. And, and Blake, when he had the injuries, uh, to have to work on his body just to be able to get back to play. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think people see how much work goes on behind the scenes, especially if a player gets older. J.J. Reddick's another example of a guy who put an incredible amount of time and routine into his body just to be able to play. Sure, yeah. That's that's one thing that they all had. Now, ego, yeah, but also an unbelievable work ethic, uh, especially behind the scenes. You know, what you see on the court is a result of, you know, hundreds of hours of preparation to be able to get to play. Yeah, and I, you know, I I, I, uh, I reread not, not long ago a couple of the Larry Bird books, you know, that, that are out. And, and uh, you know, and they, they talked, there was one that talked about, uh, that it interviewed some players that, you know, were coming into the Boston Garden and they were doing their walkthrough or their shoot around the day of the game. And they'd look up and there was Bird running around the top of the arena, you know, uh, on the day of a game, you know, he's, he's running laps around the arena. And they thought that he was, they thought that he was trying to spy on them, you know, or something. But but they realized, you know, that he was up there just getting in his his work, you know, and, yeah. and on the day of the game, you know, that that uh, he was he was out there running laps, you know, knowing he was going to play a forty eight minute game that night. And uh, you know, and I, I think you're exactly right. I think there's you know you don't understand the work ethic that some of these guys have. Yeah, it's 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 really amazing. You know, if you could. And I, I wish most co- and I've been very fortunate that I've seen this. I wish most coaches could could just spend like game day with a player and yeah. to understand just the day of the game exactly what the, what they go through and, and and preparing to play one NBA game. Yeah, um, yeah. it's so amazing. It, it is. I I, I can I understand that wholeheartedly. I've seen it. And, uh, you know, I think that's a good thing for every coach to see is to go to an NBA camp or go to, you know, and just see how you guys do things uh, as well as colleges and, and stuff. So so you've had the chance to see Vinny Del Negro and, and uh, hey, uh, Doc Rivers, yeah. you know, Tyron, uh, Lou is yeah. there now. And you, you've seen those guys up close and personal. And, and what, what are the things that you take away from guys like that, um, you know, as you as you watch them? Um, you know, with all, all, all three of those guys that you just mentioned are all unbelievably prepared for the job. Uh, you know, the practice, practice planning was, you know, you know, Doc, for example, would, would probably take about an hour with the staff to plan a practice. If Vinny was a little more meticulous, he probably took a couple hours. Really? You know, Ty, Ty Lu is probably more like Doc, um, but the attention to, to to detail and planning for practice, they just didn't wing it. I mean, yeah. it was stuff that's thought out pretty good. Now, it should be. I mean, that that should pay you a lot of money, so you should be prepared. But sure. all three you know, that I've been with, 
are, are very meticulous and detailed about their practice planning. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think that's one of the biggest things. Uh, and there were a lot of differences in the head coaches that I've that I've seen and I've worked under too. But the similarities are that they're all really prepared for practice. Yeah. And, uh, so now, what what is um, what's, what's your role right now in the preseason? As far as what what are how how are you? Now, yeah, I don't like right now. I don't I don't have a um, a big role at all. You know, I'm I'm doing some some special projects for Lawrence. Uh, I'm not quite sure what that means yet, but, um, but up until this year, I, you know, I'd spent the um, last five years as a pro pro scout, which is, uh, you know, I, I, my job was to know as much as I can about all the NBA players, the, the personnel, you know, be an expert on, on, on my teams. So, um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of live games, a lot of film games, yeah. Um, and trying to get as much information as you can about players, sure, and, or uh, trades and free agents, things like that. Yeah, and uh, so you cover you cover right now. You're covering the West Coast teams, I guess. Is that the right? West West Coast was my was my Coast. yeah, but, okay. but but there would be some crossover where I'd get to see the Eastern teams too. But but my primarily responsibility had, had been the West Coast teams. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, all right, so as we wind down here. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. All right, man. This has been some good stuff, Dave. I, you know, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, I heard you say that there are ten mistakes yeah. that you think high school coaches make, uh, in your opinion. Okay, can you run through those real quick? I've heard you say that before, but I think it's good for all the high school coaches that will be listening to us. Yeah. Uh, to get that. So, what? What are your 10 big things. Uh, you know what, Coach? I'm going to pull them up right now and kind of read off of them. I, right. I got them right here uh, somewhere if I can find them. See, I should have been prepared. I should have had that question for you uh, before. And uh, so Are you going to be able to edit this at all? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, we're, we, we, uh, we like it as is, man. We're going <laughs> to – I hear you. Um, I, I, you know, I can, I can start off cause I know, I know pretty much most of them, but the number one thing is, and I've made this mistake. I've made all these mistakes is, is taking a bad job. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe there's no tradition, there's no facilities, there's no help. Uh, you know, you got bad players. Um, and sometimes you have to take a job just cause you need a job. Sure. Yeah. You know, maybe you need the healthcare if you're a teacher or you need, but I think the number one thing is like taking a bad job. Um, you know, another, another thing I think is, uh, you know, getting so caught up into the auxiliary things in a high school, like fundraising, mm-hmm. uh, you know, developing a youth program uh, at the expense of, of really, you know, working on, on your team. You know, we spend a lot of time doing the outside stuff, the booster club, the, the youth program, which is important, but sometimes at the expense of, of really developing your team. Sure. Um, and another thing I think is, uh, you know, spending so much time on, uh, on drills that don't apply to the game. Yep. And I was guilty of that. I mean, I mean right? I, I'm going to tell you, Coach, 
Uh, we've all seen it. Like yesterday, I'm, I won't tell you where I was, but it was a high-level practice, and they're running three-man week. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I said, okay, you know, I don't know much, but I know that in, during a game, you never see a three-man week. Well, you, you never see it in a game, and I, I guarantee you, I can go to a youth league practice or an, uh, a middle school practice. I saw this at a middle school practice the other day. They were running three-man weave, and I'm like – I told the coach, I said, uh, I, I got a question. You know, when when have you ever seen the three-man weave you know, <laughs> in a game? Right. And, and she was like, well, I haven't, but somebody told me to do this. And I said, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I you know, uh, but I, I think that I think that's right. I think, you you know, until you go to some practices, you go watch a, a college team practice, for instance, and, and you pick up and you say, man, that's a great drill. That's a great drill. And then you try to put it in, and it doesn't fit your team and what your capabilities are. And uh, I think that's a mistake we've all made. I've made that. And, uh, you know, and and if I have a team, you know, I I go to and from drills sometimes. You know, know, if I have a team that can do this, defense or offense, then we use a certain drill to teach it. Sure. Sure. Um, You know, another mistake I think, Coach, is – is getting away from the fundamentals, uh, not spending enough time on you know ball handling, shooting, individual defense, passing, uh, team movement, moving without the ball. I think that's another mistake that we make. We 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 are so quick to get into teaching our offense. Yeah, yeah. You know, like first day of practice, you know, here's our offense, you know, or, and here's this and that, and we don't spend enough time on the fundamentals. Is another mistake that I've made that I think coaches make. Another one. Uh, a mistake that I think a lot of coaches make is dealing with the parents. Um, you know, how, how do you deal with the parents? I mean, and we've all made mistakes. So I think you need to have a really a set idea and philosophy of how you're going to deal with parents. Because you're going to have parent problems. As a high school coach, it's going to happen. So what did you do to to prepare for that. Did you meet with the parents at the beginning of the season and, and set up your guidelines? Yeah. Um, so if I were ever a high school coach again, I would make sure that I did a much better job with the parents and them knowing the expectations and the guidelines of our program. Like, I'm not going to talk to you right after a game. So don't run up to me and say, why didn't my kid play? Yeah, yeah. You know, the little things like that. So sure. I think that, that's another mistake that I made. Um, and I think a lot of high school coaches make it. There was, um, there was a lot of times I would uh, try to go out the back door. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, another mistake is that I found is administrators. Okay. Um, it's like you don't have to kiss their butt but you have to be able to have a relationship with them and get along with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, cause sometimes, you know, there's, there's such an acrimonious relationship with the principal or the AD. Um, and, and coaches can get really stubborn. Can we agree on that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. we get really stubborn and say, well, I'm not going to meet with the principal. I'm not meet with the AD. You know, you can come talk to me. Yeah. Well, you, you got to remember that he's the one that hired you. Yeah, that uh, you, so, those administrators, uh, you get in an argument with them. That's like 
wrestling a pig, you know, in the mud, you know, <laughs> no, you're probably uh, not winning. Yeah. You're not going to win it because the pig likes it, you know? And, and, uh, so that's, that's a, you know, that that's, that's a no win situation for a coach most of the time. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, you have to, you have to have, a, you know, some sort of a decent relationship with the principal and the AD. Um, and, and I've made the mistake of, of kind of butting heads with them and not, not having the relationship that you should have. And I think that costs you because, like you said, you're not winning that battle. Yeah. Um, let me see. What what else? Uh, I, I can't find my notes, so I'm trying to go off the top <laughs> of my head. Those, those are the main ones, Coach. Um, I'm sure I'm going to kick myself because I've forgotten some of the other ones. But <laughs> and, uh, those are, those I, I are should the main put ones. you on the spot with all you. I think we got seven or eight of them. But <laughs> I should have yeah. put you on the spot for ten. I should have said, "Hey, we there's about five to ten things, maybe." Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there so, is ten. Hey, and if anybody listening to this, you know, wants them. You know, I'll send you the PDF if you just email me. So, yeah, that, that was what I was going to ask you. So how how could coaches contact you if they wanted to get an idea or two? And and uh, what's a sure. what's a way they could that they could contact you? Yeah, my my email is pretty simple. It's j y m r a t t at gmail dot com. J y Jim Rat with the J though. J y m r a t t, and just email me and. Let's let's share some thoughts because that's one thing I, when I was a young coach like you growing up, we used to share everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, coaches would get together and talk and share offense and share thought. Now it's like, it, it gets so territorial sometimes. Yeah, that yeah. our willingness to share is really decreased. I think. Um, so I'm 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 always willing to, to share and try to help coaches. Well, and, uh, absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, I, I know you've been great to us uh, coming in and speaking at our clinic. And, and uh, uh, yeah, if, in, if anybody out there listening, that's a great clinic if you ever get a chance oh, man. Uh, to go, you know, next year or something. It's well worth it. I tell you, I, I, I picked up a couple of really good things uh, from Coach Bird from Belmont. He had some really good yeah. in the game play, baseline oh, yeah. out of bounds. He was really yeah. good. You know, they're, they're uh, you know, his teams are always fun to watch. And uh, <clears throat> one of the most innovative offensive minds, I think, uh, that, that I've seen in the last 20 years at least. Right. And, uh, you know, he uh, – and he's he's so great with, with us too here in Tennessee. And, you know, he, he's never uh, – and I think that's, you know, what – you know, you kind of give back, you know, as, as a guy like him. You know, he grew up in Tennessee and coached here for 40 years. And – you know, he's never turned turned down anything we've asked him to do uh, with the coaches association. So it's been it's been great uh, with him. And uh, so maybe maybe you can get uh, Tyron to run a couple of Coach Bird's plays. You know, uh, this year. Or yeah, yeah. He, he should definitely <laughs> consider it because he he had a couple of good ones. I like. That. Yeah, yeah. He got he's got more than a couple. I, I I've uh, <laughs> you know, I, I had to, you know he recruited a couple of my guys and, and through the years and. And I had a chance to see them play so many times, and it, you know they they were so fun to watch. But you know, and it goes back to what you say: just you know, you you know, uh, guys like him, they really know how to give back uh, to the sport, and uh, they're not hiding anything. I mean, what you see is what you get, and and you know, in a day and age like we're in now, with so much uh, you know out there, uh, you know that that you can get. You know, it's it, I, I don't understand why the coaches don't always offer up. Uh, 
uh, you know, their knowledge sometimes because you're going to get it one way or the other. It's just yeah, a matter right, of, right. you know, just, you know, just, just help the game and help, help the younger coaches because I, I know this, uh, you know, there's a lot more guys looking up than there are looking down, you know, and they're, they're looking up to older coaches to kind of, you know, help them along and, and stuff. And, and so uh, that's a that, great way to put it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I've been, I've been so fortunate, you know, in my, my 40 years or something coaching it, I've had some great, great people that I've looked up to that have really helped me out, you know, like George Raveling and, yeah. and there's an old coach named Tate's lock. Yeah. Uh, that it's been really helpful. There's a, there's a guy named Herb Livesey. A lot of coaches might not know who coach Livesey is, but he, he's the one who started Snow Valley basketball school back in yeah. 1961. Uh, and he's been really helpful with my career. Uh, so, you know, I, it, you know, guys that, that are our age, you know, the, the older coaches have really, really had a, a big impact on our lives, you know, growing up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, they, and, and the game needs those guys. You know, they, they uh, I think that generation of coaches before us, um, you know, really did everything they could to sell the game, you know, and, and, and really have made it what it is today, I think. And, uh, sure. you know, uh, on the high school, college, and, and pro level. So it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of thanks to be given. So, well, Dave, I, I yeah. want to just tell you, man, I appreciate you coming on, and, and we'll, we'll have to do this again. Maybe we can get into some other stuff. Uh, oh, yeah, there's, there's the always a lot of stuff to uncover. And, uh, well, uh, our guest has been Dave Severance of the Los Angeles Clippers, and, uh, man, we, we you know, a good friend of the BCAT. And, uh, Dave, thanks for joining us on The Locker Room. All right. Thank you, coach. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you.